Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across it. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Loved the worship this morning. Love this passage of scripture. By the way, this passage of scripture is meant to infuriate you. And we will get to that. There's my friend, Mark Moody. Mark, welcome home, buddy. It's good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. So before I just annoy you to no end with the book of Jonah, I just have a quick announcement to make. You may not know this, but the church, this church enjoys the support of a foundation several years ago, decades ago now, a guy by the name of Walt Cherry spearheaded an effort to give the church a foundation that would support the very life and, and uh, health of the church. And for all these many years, it has done so. And the foundation actually has come into possession of a few condos across the creek, Bluff Creek condos. The first one was given to us because we were doing outposts over there every week and the, the person was so warmed by that, that gesture that he gave us one and that now we're in possession of six. Didn't mean to become uh, homeowners over there, but we are in possession of six condos over there, two of which are not livable. 109 and 209. They will forever be known in my head as 109 and 209. Now, something else you need to know about that, about this, this bunch of stuff over there. My, I'm going to brag on him a little bit, and he's going to be nervous. Uh, but my friend Brent Conway has served not only those pieces of property over there, but he has served the people who live in those properties and the people who live in the other properties just near ours. Like, that guy has been nothing short of Pastor Brent over there. And I just want to say publicly that I am uh, super inspired by the kind of servant leadership that Brent Conway has embodied over there. And so when Brent comes to me and said, hey, do you think we could get some folks who would help us to refurbish, some volunteer labor to help refurbish 109, inspired as I am by what he's done, what could we do but honor his commitment and his work over there by trying to gather some work? So let me, let me tell you what we need. <clears throat> 109 needs some work. And we need to do it soon because we have somebody who needs a place to live on May the 1st. So if you have any sorts of skills relative to the following, carpentry, uh, cabinetry, plumbing, electrical, wheelbarrows, and carrying things to the trash, if you have any of those skills, we could really use your help. 
We're going to try to organize a couple of, of Saturday work days between now and then and knock it all out. It will save the, the, the foundation quite a bit of money. And then uh, when you have a tenant in there, it actually helps the foundation. That helps the church. I mean, this is, this is ministry, and it's a sort of a win-win-win. If you can help us with this, by the way, we have an Eagle Scout group that's exploring the possibility of, of cleaning up the grounds and trimming trees and hauling away de debris and working on flower beds. We want to make this sort of a focus for us. So if you have any of those skills, if you can volunteer and help us swing a hammer, uh, if you can help us carry things to the trash, need to know that. Info at okcfirst.com. It is .com, isn't it? Okay, info at okcfirst.com. Would you let us know, would you indicate your interest in those, in those, uh, in those friendship clipboards? Because we really need your help. Uh, we talk a lot about men's and women's ministry. The women's ministry is going to take the form of, of service. We're going to talk more about that later and the Galentine's thing that's coming up. This can be men's ministry, but that doesn't mean you have to be a man to help us. If you can swing a hammer and, and you're a woman, I want to see it. I, wanna, I would love to watch that because I don't know how to swing a hammer as well as you do, Okay. Unless you have a broken wing, then it's, perhaps it's not. You can't do that. But if you can help us, please tell us. Info at okcfirst.com. I've avoided it long enough. I have to now frustrate you with the book of Jonah. So would you pray for me here right up front? God, with, with my words, I just want to be faithful with your words. So somehow, God, give people the capacity to hear what you would have them hear today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I can make available to you this week this study by uh, Ipsos. Ipsos has done a worldwide survey, and they find that people are more optimistic in 2024 than they were in 2023. In fact, they find that optimism is on the rise. Now, this is all over the world. It's not just here in the United States, and it's not just Christian people. Very important that you understand that it's not just Christian folks. They're saying that there's great evidence that people everywhere have more optimism this year than they did last year at this time or two years ago. Would make some sense. We're, we're through the pandemic. By and large, there are still some people who are getting sick. We have to be diligent. But by and large, people are more optimistic than they were a couple of years ago. Now, I did find this, this quote interesting. It says right here, 41% of the respondents predicted that they will use social media less this year, which may be a result of the growing evidence that demonstrates a negative association between social media use and mental health issues. And all God's people said. <laughs> so, that's good news, right? That there seems to be, amongst all of the human beings out there, some sense that things are looking up. You might not know that by listening to some of the louder Christian voices. I don't know if you've noticed that. What, what I notice is some of the louder Christian voices telling us, no, 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 no. If you don't use your vote wisely, then things are going to come crashing to a halt. If you don't use our news source, and if you don't use our interpretation of all the news sources, then you will never be adequately or appropriately angry or afraid, and things will go bad. 
it, it does seem to me that somehow to be Christian in the United States these days, and maybe as much or more in Oklahoma than anywhere else, a good Christian is supposed to somehow and for some reason be aggrieved, fearful, that up, upset somehow. If you're not upset, then it's probably that means that you're not paying attention. I mean, here's where I start meddling a little bit. I want, I want you to check your heart. And by that I mean check your news sources. Check your heart right now. Is, is it possible that you too have been taken in by this Christian call to anger and fear? Is there something within you that says, man, if I'm gonna be Christian, I need to be angry and upset or fearful of something, right? If that's what you believe, then I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're in the company of a prophet a prophet just like Jonah. Here's the bad news. Worst prophet ever. <laughs> you see, th this kind of anger and fear, when it is used to rally folks, to organize folks, seems also at the same time quick to portray others as enemies or even monsters every year in our uh, psych of religion class, we talk about how it is that we have the capacity to make monsters out of other people. And if you can ever make a monster out of another person, if you can ever tell yourself that other person over there is not only an enemy of God, but a, mon but a monster who is dangerous to the rest of us, then that person is no longer deserving of your love. That person is no longer quite as human as you are, and you might find yourself stomaching terrible and perhaps even violent things if they happen to those people. Look at the Middle East. Dear Lord, is he really gonna talk about that today? He might, he might. Who are the monsters in your minds and hearts? Who, who are the people who, if they suffer, you kind of don't care. In fact, you might go, oh, they probably did something. Who are you being told that the monsters are supposed to be? I have a quick list of, of people who might be the monsters for some of us today. You ready? Here comes the quick list. Democrats, Republicans, MAGA folks, Muslims, Israel, Palestinians, anyone who's not where you are, where sexuality is concerned, drug addicts, criminals, and your terrible neighbor <laughs> that you suspect might be both a criminal and an addict. <laughs> who, in the inner recesses of your heart, who do you understand to be a monster? Less than less human than you. Yeah, that, see, here's the deal. You, you are kind of like a prophet in the Bible, but that prophet in the Bible is remembered because he was so bad at being a prophet. He, he not only didn't do his job very well, he wasn't wired very well. <laughs> this, is, this is a very familiar sermon, right? You, you know the story of Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the well. 
But do you recognize that the entirety of the book and the passage we're going to look at today and this sermon is not as much about Jonah as it is about a big-hearted God? In fact, here's what I would say to you today. The main star of this sermon today is the God of the universe. The second emphasis, though, needs to be on what we understand to be the distance between our hearts and the heart of this God of the universe, okay? Not so much about Jonah, which is actually a good thing because Jonah's a loser. It is about this big-hearted God and how much you are like or not like this big-hearted God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, hey, I want you to go to the city that you consider to be the capital of your enemy. Go to that city that you know is known throughout the region for its violence. They treat people as if they're not human. I want you to go to that city, <laughs> it says here, that great city, which in great is very, I've seen lots of people debate what, what whoops, are the screens not working up there somehow? What did I do? I think everything I'm supposed to do, I've, I've done. You know what, while he's up here, how about Jason Smith? He's a pretty good guy, yeah? It would be this one that's, that's plugged in over here on the right-hand side, and it seems to be okay. They're not getting a signal up there? Well, you know what? Let's do it back in the 70s and 80s. They didn't even have this, so let's, uh, let's don't worry about it. It's okay, buddy. That's all right. That's all right. So the word of God came to Jonah a second time, and you know why it needed to happen a second time? Because the first time, Jonah said no. In fact, not only did Jonah say no, he embodied that no by running the opposite direction, boarded a boat, and tried to go the opposite direction, as far away as he could go. Now, the boat hit some turbulent water. The turbulent water was understood to be the judgment of God. Jonah, understanding this to be the judgment of God, said, you know what, this is probably my fault. Tell you what you ought to do. And I wonder if he really thought that they would do it. You know, maybe if you just threw me overboard. And I said, fine, let's go. <laughs> Tossed him straight overboard. And then, according to the book, the fish that swallowed Jonah came as the gift of God. It was the blessing of God. He didn't die. He was inside of this fish. In fact, the passage of Scripture that is written a little bit like a psalm, if you read it through, it is a psalm of thanksgiving. Okay, God, thank you for rescuing me. And you would think, you would think that this would have finally warmed Jonah's heart to the possibility and the mission of God. So this is the second time that this has happened. So Jonah set out and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now this is a big city. How big? Well, it, took you, it takes you three days to walk all the way across it. <laughs> now, Jonah only gets half of a verse in here. He really gets verse four, but his words only take up half of a verse. Here it is, verse four. Jonah began to go into the city. Now it's three days across. Jonah only goes a day's walk. He gets to about a third of the city, and instead of saying, hey, 
my God has sent me with a message and here is the message that you need, here's the message that you need to respond to. All he is saying as he walks around like a crazy person is, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It just looks to me like this is a half-hearted effort. I mean, this was the city of monsters. In Jonah's mind, this is the city of monsters. Again, I asked you earlier in the sermon to ask yourself, who are the monsters? Who do I understand to be just a little less human than I am right now? If they were all congregated in one city, and then God called you to go and serve that city, might you have a similar half-hearted effort surrounded by the monsters that you feel like perhaps deserve what's coming? Maybe even kind of hope to sit by and watch as God does to them as they deserve? Like how might you have taken on that calling, half-hearted at best, but then the unthinkable happens. These godless monsters in Nineveh, according to scripture in verse five, believe God. They believed somehow and proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. This was the, this was the garb that you would wear uh, because you were penitent, you were sorry, and, and hoping somehow that God would notice their sorrow and their being penitent. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he made this decree. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth. All the animals too, right? This is serious. <laughs> and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows, says the king of Nineveh. Who knows? God may relent and change God's mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. In other words, <laughs> the king of Nineveh hoped something was true about God that Jonah hoped was not true about God. Did you catch that? The king of Nineveh hoped that God would relent and change God's mind. Now some of you are bothered by that language. What do you mean change? Aren't you the guy who says each week that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good? Yes, and we will continue to say it. But if God is going to make a first place commitment to loving us, that might mean that some other things then might change. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And all God's people said, yeah, very good. Well done there. Now, where do your monsters live? Yours, the people you consider to be monsters. Okay, you're nice people. Where do the people live that you're closest to calling monsters? You're, you're, if not your enemies, at least your opposites and for sure your irritants. Where do they live? How would you respond 
if somehow you were to come to understand that God loved them as much as God loves you and that God at one time seemingly bent on punishment for those monsters or nearly monsters, what if you were to hear that God had changed God's mind so as to not punish them, so as to not make them suffer? How would that hit your heart? You're probably a better person than Jonah. Because here's what Jonah did. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. <laughs> he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh Lord, please take my life. I would rather die than see them live. Please take my life from me, for it's better, better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, what is wrong with you? Is it right for you to be angry. Jonah wanted God to be flat and unchanging in every way, predictable in his anger. But this pagan king sees possibility where Jonah didn't want to see possibility. So what is it about God that is unchanging? Because obviously some things do change. It says it right here in the scriptures. It seems to be that God does respond to God's people according to our exercise of free will. Now think about that. It does seem to be the witness of the text today that God responds to people as they exercise free will. Jonah is angry about this, that what doesn't change about God is the love of God. The love of God, catch this, the love of God is greater than the wrath or even the power of God. even where your monsters are concerned. The love of God is greater than the wrath of God or the power of God. Now, Jonah had so little confidence in the commitments of the Ninevites that he still sort of thought that God was going to wipe them out. And so Jonah climbed up a hill sat on this hill to get a good, like, front row seat, a good view of the destruction that he still believed and kind of hoped was coming to the monsters of Nineveh. So he gets up there, very hot day, very hot day, but by the grace of God, somehow a vine grew up and gave Jonah shade. And Jonah said, God, you're my favorite. Thank you for this shade, because my head was starting to get burned. Then according to scripture, <laughs> God also caused there to be a worm that ate that whole vine. And now he was exposed again to the ravages of the sun. And Jonah again said, now I just want to die again, God. I mean, not only does it look like you're not going to kill my enemies, these monsters. Now you've even taken this bush away from me. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be this angry about that bush? <laughs> And he says, yes, God, angry enough to die. It's right there in Scripture. I love it. Then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished. 
in a night. Then verse 11, chapter 4. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, big city, full of life, full of potential? Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? He's not saying they're stupid. He's saying they don't know what they don't know yet. God says, you know what? I'm even concerned about the animals. It seems to be that God is saying, hey, Jonah, have we not met? Jonah, do you not recognize my voice? Jonah, <clears throat> do you not know what it means to be the called prophet of God? It means you're supposed to be speaking the words of God and not just with your mouth, but with your body. Epiphany. That this is the season of epiphany and this is quite the epiphany. During the season, we celebrate a God that is disruptive. A God who upsets our ways of being, our ways of thinking, hopefully our ways of doing. Juggle, juggle. Jonah at this part struggles to understand that God is larger than his partisan, political, nationalistic dreams and desires. He's an Israelite. He wants to believe that God is going to be on Israel's side. And there is great evidence in Scripture that God is in fact on Israel's side while also being on the sides of the Ninevites. Does that bother you? God loves the people in Nineveh. Substitute any other city, any other nation, any other orientation. Substitute any other party other than yours. Substitute any other religion, religious commitment. God loves those people too. Here's, here's the hard part. And maybe we should more often say this. The, the easy part is to receive and kind of drink in that God's mind about me is made up and the news is good. It makes me warm on the inside. We should probably be more diligent to say, and that person that you consider to be your most bitter enemy, that person that you consider to be monster material, God's mind about that one or those people, those people. God's mind about them is made up and the news is just as good. The sermon is not about Jonah. The sermon is first of all about a God whose heart is frustratingly large. And then it's about the distance between you and this God. I said this earlier. It seems to me that some of the loudest religious voices out there are the ones who might most likely also be, might be spewing messages of hate or, or telling us what it is that we should be afraid of. Let me ask it this way. Do you know where there might be people of God, perhaps in elected office, who are acting violently, 
Sometimes in physical ways, sometimes in policy-making ways, sometimes it's just a posture kind of thing. Here's a difficult question. Might those folks, and might we have more in common with the Ninevites than we'd like to think? Yeah, we may have a lot more in common with Jonah than we'd like to think, but I'm concerned that sometimes Christianity, the way it is embodied around here, and here meaning the nation, I think we may have more in common with the Ninevites than we'd like to believe. I read a guy this week by the name of Leslie Allen who said this about how it is that we have something in in common with Jonah. He says, there is a Jonah that lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, (laughs) empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. Now hear this. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God which has been outpoured in his own heart to remold his thinking and his social understanding and orientation. Jonah could not get it through his thick prophet skull that God's mind about Nineveh was made up such that the news could be good. So this is about God. It's about the distance between Jonah and God. And the question for the person or the people of God is this. Who is it that cares for the monsters in Nineveh? There's a couple of answers. The story says that God cares for them and that Jonah should. But the story is written down not for Jonah but for us. So who cares about the monsters in your Nineveh? The answer is God does and you should. And I should. And we're not just talking about a a sentimental sort of love that allows you to stand at a distance and say, I love my monsters as long as I don't have to smell them. To love is to seek the good of the other. And either you love somebody or you don't. Either we are following this God or we are not. So what is it? Who are your monsters? Is it weirdo Democrats? Is it the weirdo Republicans and MAGA people? Is it Muslims? Is it Israel? Is it Palestinians? Is it addicts? Trust me. Trust me, addicts will test your last ounce of patience. God's mind about addicts is made up. What do you think the news is? So will you help us then? Here's, here's what I mean. I'm really sorry we don't have this. We'll, we'll put it out, Matt, in the, in the email so you can see it. You may not have, have seen it. We had great things happening in the building Wednesday night. 
Jason's doing his thing, my dad's here doing his thing, and in the atrium, some of you may have seen this, there's a, there's a group of, of women who have helped to organize an effort with folks from the Oxford House. You, are you trying to get another round of applause? What is happening here? Yeah, there it is, it happened, yep. The Oxford House is um, recovery, it's a recovery house. So there are homes in the neighborhoods around us that are Oxford houses. They're either women's houses or they are men's houses, and there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch just in our, our walkable neighborhood. In fact, they will gather here to have their larger meetings, and we've been with them a couple of times now. There's been 70 or 80 people at some of those meetings, and it's just been for the, for the women. And they came to us, Mike Laughlin helped to build this bridge, and the one who directs, the woman who directs, her name is Ashley, who directs all the houses that are in our area, came to us and said, hey, Oxford houses are famous for having, for giving the, our, our people a consistent place to live as they work through their addiction issues, but we really don't have much in the way of programming to offer them. It's just never been what we do. Will you help us with that? And so I'm coming to you to ask, will we help them with that? Next Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, next Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, all of you who are interested in this kind of training, all of you who are interested in this kind of work, and it can be men or women, we want to invite you to a training event next Sunday morning, 9.30 in the atrium. And Dr. Bonnie Goodwin is going to walk us through what this kind of work might look like. She's gonna walk us through how to have the conversation. She's actually gonna tell us, here are some things that you really should say, should say, and here are some things that you should never say as we are buddying up to some of these folks, arm in arm, trying to walk with them through their addiction. We want to have a women's Bible study or book study all the time, and it's been hard to get those things up and running. Here's our next chance starting February 28th, February 28th. Wednesday night, we want to have a book study on this book. It's called Hope Rising. And I think Jason's trying to get it on the screen one way or another. It's called Hope Rising. That will be the book. It's going to be the, the Science of Hope. I love the subtitle. It's The Science of Hope. And these women have to take this class. You don't have to. I just hope you will. I hope that there are women in the group women in the room, women watching, who will look up and say, oh, this is where God could use me. This is where discipleship happens. This is where perhaps the grace of God could be spread about using my own body. We need your help. I, I really want to be home church for this Oxford ministry, women, and the men. What, what Brandon Kirkpatrick did last Wednesday night is organize different people to come in and talk to them about their resumes, talk to them about their, their possibilities for work, even have potential employers come in and give their testimonies, and it worked. They seem happy to have a place that will wrap arms around them. So here's my question to you. Will you wrap arms around them? Will you be a part of the solution next Sunday morning Please come to the training, men or women, because eventually we're going to start off with this effort. We're going to start off with the women's houses, but eventually we'll get to the men's houses, but we want to make sure we know what we're doing. So we're going to start off with the women's houses and do some things. The Galentine's event's a part of this overarching strategy. And this book study, starting February 28th, is a major part of this strategy. We need your help.
I went to one of these meetings a while back, and again, 70, 80 women in there, and there's Pastor John, the only dude in the entire room, and more than once, people looked at me like, now, why are you here? <laughs> so we need some help. Hopefully, you will help us, and you'll hear more about that in the days to come. So Leslie Allen said it like this, the one who has ears to hear, let him, let her hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart to remold his thinking and his social understanding and orientation. Well, that's what we do every week right here around this table. We retell that story, the story about the God who extends God's self to us in risky, dangerous ways. Why? Because this is how that God loves. And why do we tell that story each week? And why do we eat the bread and, and take of the cup each and every week? And, I, and I'll say this to you once in a while, I hope you eat so much bread that you think you're becoming the bread. That's the point, that we would become the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'll bless the elements while I'll give Jason a chance to make his way down here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless these elements and God with them? Would you, in fact, reorient us? Take us by the shoulders, God, and orient us so that we can not only see that you love us, but so that we can also see that you might love others through us. Bless the bread and the cup and somehow, God, with them, nourish us and strengthen us to be the kinds of people who might be able to consider someday soon love for our enemies, our opposites, our irritants, even the monsters. Even the monsters. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pew to the left, all of you who will, and please keep in mind, all are invited, but none are compelled. You, you don't have to take part if you don't want to. If you do take part today, I hope you do so with your monsters firmly in mind, that you are doing this today, not just so that you can be reminded of God's love for you, but so that you might someday be able to remind that monster of God's love for him, for her, for them. So as you exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped, you'll approach somebody holding a plate of bread. When you get close enough, <clears throat> that person will take a piece of bread and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone right there will be, st will, will be standing there holding a cup and when you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray for yourself and your connection to your monsters. That God would somehow give you the capacity to love as you are loved by God. Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll understand you to be there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up front, these kneeling benches, we won't assume anything, but at some point we'll let you know that you're not praying alone You'll notice that we have a bowl of water here and another bowl of water over there. I, we wanna make sure that you have opportunity to dip your fingers into that water, to
to be reminded of the moment of your baptism because this is our calling, baptized folks. We're not baptized just to somehow be cleansed. We're baptized in order to be called and equipped to take up the calling of God, which is to love monsters. And if you need to be reminded of the moment of your baptism, now there are a couple different places for you to do that. Do I qualify to come, Pastor? Well, if you recognize that you need grace as I do, that's all it takes to qualify you for this moment. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, every time, remember me, the monster loving God. And later he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, shed blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me monster loving God. Now all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.